0: Dear Father in Heaven, thank you for giving us the privilege of fellowshipping with you once again. Lord in Heaven, please, as spiritual things are spiritually discerned, we want you to grant us of your Spirit, that we may not wrest your word out of its true meaning, but that we would understand it, and that we may rightly divide the word of truth. May your words be spirit and life unto our souls, O oh Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would also give us grace to. Have our characters transformed, that the thing we will learn today, you will help us to put into practice. To that end, Lord, I pray that you put your words in my mouth, that I may speak blessings to your children. To the end, that our characters may be transformed that to that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I've pray. Amen. Conflict and Courage June 22 A king rebuked And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse seven. As time passed on, David's sin toward Bathsheba became known, and suspicion was excited that he had planned the death of Uriah. The Lord was dishonored; He had favored and exalted David, and David's sin misrepresented the character of God, and cast reproach upon His name. It tended to lower the standard of godliness in Israel to lessen in many minds the abhorrence of sin while those who did not love and fear God were by it emboldened in transgression. Nathan the prophet was bidden to bear a message of reproof to David. It was a message terrible in its severity to few sovereigns. Could such a reproof be given at the price of setting death to the reprover? Nathan delivered the divine sentence unflinchingly, yet with such heaven-born wisdom as to engage the sympathies of the king, to arouse his conscience and to call from his lips the sentence of death upon himself. The guilty may attempt, as David had done, to conceal their crime from men. They may seek to bury the evil deed forever from human sight or knowledge, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews chapter four, verse thirteen. The prophet Nathan's parable of the ewe lamp, given to King David, may be studied by all. While he was following his course of self-indulgence and commandment breaking, the parable of a rich man who took from a poor man his own ewe lamb was presented before him. But the king was so completely wrapped in his garments of sin that he did not see that he was the sinner. He fell into the trap and passed his sentence upon another man as he supposed condemning him to death. This experience was most painful to David, but it was most beneficial. But for the mirror which Nathan held up before him, in which he so clearly recognized his own likeness, he would have gone on unconvicted of his heinous sin, and would have been ruined. The conviction of his guilt was the saving of his soul. He saw himself in another light, as the Lord saw him. And as long as he lived, he repented of his sin. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is A King Rebuked. After David had plotted the death of Uriah, his faithful soldier, the Bible records that David, after after Uriah's wife had finished mourning for her husband, took her to to himself. 2 Samuel 11, verse 26 and 27 says, And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What was it that David did that displeased the Lord, really? Let us try to break it down so that we understand the gravity of what David did. We've already seen some part of it yesterday. But to add to that... Did David need to take Uriah's wife but Sheba to himself as a wife? No, he did not need to do that. The fact that he did that is the evidence that he was not repentant of his sin. The fact that many years have gone by, the fact that many days and months had gone by, and that David, after this, was still living with Uriah's wife, showed that David was not repentant. He thought he had covered his sin and wanted to move on. He had forgotten that there was a God in heaven that was watching over him. David had not till this time prayed about this matter and asked God for forgiveness. For if he had done that, he wouldn't have taken Bathsheba to himself because that is the object of his sin. How can one commit a sin and then take that object of his sin to himself? The best David would have done was to take care of that child knowing that it was a child gotten from adultery take care of the child and leave the woman but him taking the woman to himself as a wife well it was a usual thing polygamy was a normal thing so one can say it's just like him taking another wife but one thing we can see here is that all this while before god sent Nathan to him david had not asked god for forgiveness why i am saying this is we need not have ourselves there is no need for Nathan to have come to David if David had actually repented if you fall into sin like many people do fall into the sin of fornication or adultery and when they realize themselves they feel bad and then they ask God for forgiveness and many times if they are truly repentant they separate from that person who it was that they committed their adultery with and they take caution you know the Bible talks about godly repentance and what it does godly repentance is thorough Godly repentance will take measures to ensure that that thing that was done will not repeat itself again. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter seven, reading from verse ten, it says, "For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. So if David was repentant, he would have become careful. And then he goes again to say." yea, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, you become somehow sort of angry towards what you have done, so much that you take every careful measure to ensure that you never do that kind of thing again, and then it goes on, yeah, what fear, what vehement desire, what is the fear being referred to, it is the bringing back up of that fence that was broken, the barriers, because you are now afraid of yourself. So that you will not repeat that sin again, you bring back all the barriers, and you become so careful that you don't want to go back to that sin again. He says what vehement desire, yeah, what zeal, yeah, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. David had not repented, and the Lord said Nathan to rebuke him. Nathan came to him with a story to tell him about a rich man and a poor man, it says, Second Samuel chapter 12, reading from verse 1, says, And the Lord said Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and, his, and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the, one, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. He did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveller unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, I anointed the king over Israel. I can just imagine how David's fates must have changed. He just said now that that man was going to restore fourfold, and not just that, that the man will surely die. And the next thing he hears is, Thou art the man. What would David do? What happened? How am I the man? And then Nathan proceeded to tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and all of Judah. And if it had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife. Do you see the two crimes? 1. He killed Uriah, and the Lord identifies that other thing as a sin. He took his wife to be his own wife. David took Uriah's wife to be his wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus said the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee and thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. What a scathing rebuke to give to a king. Fearless words here spoken by Nathan. Conflict and Courage, page 179, paragraph 3 tells us, Nathan, the prophet, was bidden to bear a message of reproof to David. It was a message terrible in its severity. Too few sovereigns could such a reproof be given, but at the price of certain debts to the reprover. Nathan delivered the divine sentence unflinchingly yet with such heaven-born wisdom as to engage the sympathies of the king to arouse his conscience and to call from his lips the sentence of death upon himself. End of quote. Truly, only few people can give this rebuke to a king and come out alive. There was a king in Israel who was rebuked for his sin and the person that rebuked him he ensured that that person died. That's the thing. But Nathan was not afraid to tell David to his face what the Lord had told him to say to him. There are many who will get this commission to give a straight testimony as Nathan did who will shrink from such a duty. Nathan was a fearless prophet. He was an uncorrupt judge. This work done by Nathan was not as protective as many say. People say Nathan used tact to shield himself. That was not what Nathan did. Nathan used tact to make his message even more forcible. It is not such a pleasant thing to lead a person on only for them to condemn themselves with their own words. People can feel deceived, used or incensed by such dealing. Nathan did that that nonetheless to ensure that there will be no hiding place for David once he is done with him. He told him a simple story to make David see the enormity of his crime and not to shield himself as many people say that Nathan was very tactful, the way he said it was so that David would not attack him. No, Nathan still told the truth very fearlessly and pointedly. The only purpose for that story was to ensure that David would be caught. The story was told to David so he would catch him and ensure that there was no excuses or hiding place for David. He cornered David in such a manner that there was no place for him to hide. Maybe, just maybe, if this was done to King Saul, he would have pronounced his own judgment on himself too. He actually did when he tried to kill Jonathan, when he thought Jonathan disobeyed him. By saying Jonathan must die, he pronounced judgment on himself for disobeying God. The lesson we learn from this part of the story when Nathan gave this rebuke to David is that when God gives us a message of rebuke, we are to give it faithfully. Nathan did not try to hide or seek David's favor. Or give him the message in fear. He spoke very clearly to him. He set his face as flint. You know, this is the reason why, as prophets of God or ministers of God, you should be careful not to be man pleasers. You should be careful when the Bible says that your conduct should not be with filthy lucre. If Nathan was a man who was used to collecting gifts from David, for example, or requesting, I wouldn't say collecting, but was a type who was always begging David, please give me money, give me money. When the Lord tells him, go and rebuke David, he will be compromised. He won't find it easy to do that. And that's why ministers must carry themselves to be above blame with such dignity that will give them the opportunity to say what they need to say when they need to say it. Some ministers have been bought over because of the gifts they have collected from people because of the begging they have done and received so many favors from people their mouth is shut up when they see things that are going wrong they cannot talk because the person who is doing the wrong thing is somebody who has given them some huge sum of money and they feel like oh, since I was the one that requested for this money it will be difficult I cannot rebuke this man lest he stops giving me money Nathan was an uncorrupt judge he was not afraid of David. Was he receiving any favors from David? I don't know. But whatever that was, he cared not and he did not think of the consequence of maybe him and David do not be in good terms or David can even kill him or whatever favors he used to receive from David, he would not receive it again. He spoke the truth as it is in Jesus and pointedly without trying to hide it and cornered David to the point that David had nowhere to hide. David condemned himself because of the way Nathan dealt with him. And we are today to do such a work. When we are committed or commissioned to do this kind of work, we shouldn't be afraid. When we were studying about Abigail, we learned about gentle rebuke. But there is a time for the voice of stern rebuke. Reading from Review and Herald, September 11, 1913, paragraph 13, it says, Today, there is need of the voice of stern rebuke, for grievous sins have separated the people from God. Infidelity is fast becoming fashionable. We will not have this man to reign over us is the language of thousands. The smooth sermons so often preached make no lasting impression. The trumpet does not give a certain sound. Men are not caught to the heart by the plain, sharp truths of God's word. There are many professed Christians who, if they should express their real feelings, would say, What need is there? Of speaking so plainly. Oh, this, this podcast, they are too sharp. Oh, why is why it is mentioning all these things so plainly? Huh? That's what some people will say. Continuing the reading, it says, They might as well ask, Why need John the Baptist have said to the Pharisees, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why need he have provoked the anger of Herodias by telling Herod that it was unlawful for him to live with his brother's wife? The forerunner of Christ lost his life by his plain speaking. Why could he not have moved along without incurring the displeasure of those who were living in sin? So men who should be standing as faithful guardians of God's law have argued till policy has taken the place of faithfulness and sin is allowed to go unreproved. When will the voice of faithful rebuke be heard once more in the church? Thou art the man, Nathan said to David. These words are seldom heard in the pulpits of today, seldom seen in the public press. If they were not so rare, we should see more of the power of God revealed among men. The Lord's messengers should not complain of their efforts being without fruit until they repent of their own love for approbation and their desire to please men which lead them to suppress the truth. Those ministers who are men-pleasers, who cry, Peace peace when God has not spoken peace, might well humble their hearts before God, asking pardon for their insincerity and lack of moral courage. It is not from love for their neighbor that they smooth down the message entrusted to them, but because they are self-indulgent and is loving. True love seeks first the honor of God and the salvation of souls. Those who have this love will not evade the truth to save themselves from the unpleasant results of plain speaking. When souls are in they will not consider self, but will speak the word giving them to speak, refusing to excuse or palliate evil. Would that every minister might realize the sacredness of his office and the holiness of his work, and show the courage that Elijah showed, as divinely appointed messengers, Ministers are in a position of awful responsibility. They are to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. In Christ's stead, they are to labor as stewards of the mysteries of heaven, encouraging the obedient and warning the disobedient. With them, worldly policy is to have no weight and I would say, with them, political correctness is to have no weight. Continuing the reading, it says, "Never are they to swerve from the path in which Jesus has bidden them walk. They are to go forward in faith, remembering that they are surrounded with a clouds of witnesses. They are not to speak their own words, but words which one greater than the potentates of earth has bidden them to speak. Their message is to be thus saith the Lord. God calls for men like Elijah, Nathan, and John the Baptist." men who will bear his message with faithfulness regardless of the consequences men who will speak the truth bravely though it call for the sacrifice of all they have god cannot use men who in time of peril when the strength courage and influence of all are needed are afraid to take a firm stand for the right he calls for men who will do faithful battle against wrong warring against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places it is to such as these that he will speak the words well done good and faithful servant. enter thou into the joy of the lord end of quote so what are we hearing you know there are some people who would say why is this person speaking so pointedly i've even gotten some people tell me "Mm, don't you think that your words should be a bit um, politically correct and they feel that when the truth is spoken it cuts too much and so they are not happy with it how do you know when you are saying the right thing when when Nathan said thou art the man or when Elijah said to Ahab you are the one that is troubling Israel or when John the Baptist called the Pharisees you generation of vipers or when Jesus spoke concerning Herod Go tell that fox. Or when Paul said to the high priest, Thou whited wall. Or when Jesus said to the Pharisees, You generation of vipers. who?" And he told them also, You whited sepulchers. Do you find fault with Jesus, or with John, or with Paul, or with Nathan, or with Elijah for saying such things? Would you have borne it were you a Pharisee when Jesus was speaking Matthew 23 to them? Telling them, you blind guides, you generation of vipers. Would you have borne it or would you have said Jesus was sinning when he did that? Or he didn't know how to talk? Look, when there are sins in the house of God, when people are blatantly in evil, it calls for the pointed straight testimony. A peaceful testimony will not wake them up from their sins. No one is calling for you to go and insult people. You have the heavenly calls from the word of God to use exactly as it is written. You tell the person what the word of God says exactly as it says. The Bible says concerning those who will commit adultery, he says that they are not wise. So if I tell you that you are not wise, you shouldn't be offended with me. If you are like the Pharisee and I call you a generation of viper, you shouldn't be offended because that is exactly what the word of God says. God calls for the faithful dealing with sin. There is need of people who will give the voice of stern rebuke. And that voice is needed when the people are fast becoming unfaithful and infidelity is becoming fashionable. It is needed at this time. The straight testimony and not the smooth one. The trumpet needs to give a certain sound. Men are not, to, are not caught to the heart by the plain sharp truths of God's word. Because it is not spoken. If we speak the plain, sharp truth of God's word, that is what will cut the heart of men and cause them to repent. But if you keep being politically correct and palliating sin and giving it, absorbed uh, it on tempered mortar, then the people will remain in their sins. And tell me, who is it that loves you? Is it the one who is politi- politically correct and not showing you your sin exactly as it is? Or is it the one that rebukes you? Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Why will I speak plain words concerning what I know to be truth? Why will anyone do it? It is out of love. Do not think that when you hear someone explaining to you the carefulness you ought to have to be in the kingdom of God and telling you what your sin is, that the person hates you. I tell you who doesn't like you, it is the person who sees you in sin and instead of waking you up and arousing you to see the evil of what you are doing, will be speaking a a peaceful testimony to you telling you that all is well that person does not love you. The one who loves you is our Lord Jesus who will rebuke you and anyone who takes the word of Jesus and gives it to you exactly as he said it also loves you. Because love is to see a person going in sin and in destruction and do your best to save the person from hell. And how would you save someone if you don't take desperate measures and speak in such a way to wake the person up from their sleep? Peaceful, politically correct testimony will not do this work. It must be the plain cutting truth as it is in the word of God. It is not us that is to do the cutting. It is the word of God. Read the word of God to the people as it is. Tell them exactly what it said, exactly as it is written in the spirit of prophecy and let the people are awake from their sleep and see their sin for what it is. But when we daub the message of God with untempered mortar, when we speak peace, when there is no peace, when we follow policy, when we are afraid of our reputation when we are afraid of how people are going to view us because they are going to say oh this person is uncultured oh look at how he's just speaking when you are afraid of the way people are going to look at you and you are afraid of not getting the approbation of men then you don't love them you are not the one who the lord will use for his work the lord will pass by you and even if the world is offended with you because you spoke like john the baptist then don't worry we read here It is to such as these that God will say the words, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. But those who will not do this will not hear the well done, for the well done will be spoken to only those that do well. In Conflict and Courage, page 179, paragraph 4, we read, The guilty may attempt, as David had done, to conceal their crime from men. They may seek to bury the evil deed forever from human sight or, or knowledge, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do." There is nothing hidden from God, brothers and sisters. This experience of David was most painful. This experience was most painful to David, but it was most beneficial. But for the mirror which Nathan held up before him, in which he so clearly recognized his own likeness, he would have gone on unconvinced of his heinous sin and would have been ruined. The conviction of his guilt was the saving of his soul. He saw himself in another light, as the Lord saw him, and as long as he lived, he repented. End of quote. Blessed is the man truly whom God reveals his transgression to him. After David's transgression was revealed to him, he wrote that psalm, which is that psalm which is so popular today. Written in Psalms 51, he said, This is the psalm to the chief musician, the psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba, he prayed, have mercy upon me, O God. And I would say, Have you been like David? Have you been unfaithful? Have you gone into the sin of adultery and fornication and any other sin at all? Have your sins be revealed, has your sins be revealed to you? We can join David in making this prayer. Do not be offended when people reveal your sins to you and do not be like Saul. Here is the place that showed the difference between David and King Saul. David did not justify himself. He did not get offended with the prophets who revealed to him his guilt, neither did he stubbornly defend himself. He admitted his faults and he repented. He prayed and we also can pray. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy lovingkindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was sheep in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of salvation, of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach, transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou des- delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion build thou the walls of Jerusalem what walls is David referring to here did anything happen to the walls of Jerusalem no David is referring to the walls that had broken down in his own life and he's saying Lord please bring them up back again then shall thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar amen you see in this prayer of David there's a lot that we can learn from here when he said take not thy Holy Spirit from me what does it remind you of the Holy Spirit of God was taken away from King Saul and when David will think about what happened to King Saul after his sin it is a dreadful thing and David prayed, Lord please and we should pray Lord please take not thy Holy Spirit from me because if the Holy Spirit of the Lord leaves you you are done for you will be worse than you were before and you will just be like King Saul your case is closed David prayed that we can also pray, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he had an intention that he was going to teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted when God restores him. And that should be the prayer of everyone who also is converted. They will start to warn others concerning the mistakes that they made, not necessarily talking about themselves, but you find out that since you know where you went wrong, You will speak clearly about it and tell others this is what you should not do and this is what you should do. Not necessarily using yourself as a point of contact and telling people I did this or I did that. No, but because of your experience, you will speak strongly about the matter and tell people be careful. Don't go in this direction. Spiritual Gifts Volume 4a page 88 paragraph 3 and 4 says, The songs which David composed were sung by all Israel, especially in the presence of the assembled court and before priests, elders and lords. He knew that the confession of his guilt would bring his sins to the notice of other generations. He presents his case, showing in whom was his trust and hope for pardon. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy mercies blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, Thou God of my salvation, David does not manifest the spirit of an unconverted man. If he had possessed the spirit of the rulers of the nations around him, he would not have borne from Nathan the picture of his crime before him in its truly abominable colors, but would have taken the life of the faithful reprover. Do you know, let me just stop, do you know that there are many of us that take the life of the faithful reprover? Just just because you don't have a knife to cut someone's head or a gun to shoot the person who rebuked you doesn't mean that you are not like the rulers who take the life of those that reprove them. When you want to have vengeance on someone just because they told you the truth or because they rebuked you and in your vengeance you now want to find secrets in their lives or want to find out or to, to bring up falsehoods against them and speak evil of them to malign their character, to kill their influence, you are no different from the man who cannot bear rebuke. You are no different from those rulers who feel that if Nathan comes to rebuke him, they will kill him. Be careful how you react when people correct you. If you are reproved of your sins and because of that you go around backbiting, speaking evil of the person and not telling people that the reason why you are speaking this evil is because the person rebuked you or because of something that was preached. You don't tell them. You just go around spreading evil seed then you are just like these rulers of other nations but we must have the spirit of david when he got the gentle rebuke from abigail he 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 thanked her he bore it patiently and he said to her thank you bless you abigail for stopping me from sinning and when nathan spoke to him on sending his sin in the stern rebuke oh he was broken his spirit was broken and he begged god please heal me please create in me a clean heart Notwithstanding the loftiness of his throne and his unlimited power, his humble acknowledgement of all with which he was charged is evidence that he still feared and trembled at the word of the Lord. End of quote. Do you tremble at the word of the Lord? Or have you gone so far in sin that when you are rebuked, you cannot bear it and you get offended and you rise up against the rebu- reprover or the re- one who rebukes you or your face changes and you become so, so hard in your face and it shows that in your face you are not enjoying what you are being told and you are angry. Is that well for you to do that? Let us learn from David how to take rebuke. And let us learn from Nathan how to also give the, the stern rebuke when people are wallowing in their sins. May the Lord help us. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, In whatever way we find ourselves, as those who are in sin that need rebuke, please, Lord, help us. That when we are reproved and rebuked, we will not rise up against the one who is rebuking us, but that we will take it patiently. Help us also, Lord, that when you give us a commission to speak your word faithfully, in love to bring people out of their sins, that we will do the work faithfully, not caring for consequences or the losses incurred or the hatred we will get from people, please Lord help us to love you above all things and to seek your own approbation above the approbation of men and do your work faithfully thank you Lord for hearing our prayers and answering in Jesus name of Christ. Amen